Thanks, Chris. <laughs> good morning, Redeemer family. It's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, if you can, go ahead and turn with me to our passage this morning from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. The Apostle Paul, that great early church uh, leader and church planter, wraps up the intro in this letter that he wrote to early Christians saying, beginning in verse 15, for this reason, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. It's for this reason, Paul says, that I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, praying that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope, the hope to which God has called you, what are the riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us who believe. Paul says in verse 20 that this power is according to the working of God's great might. The same might, Paul tells us, that God the Father worked in his son Jesus Christ when he raised Jesus up from the dead and seated Jesus at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority above all power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age to come. And Paul says that this is the same power God used to put all things under Christ's feet, verse 22, and appointed Christ as head over all things to the church, to the church which is Christ's body and the fullness of Christ who fills all in all. Amen. This is the word of God for us this morning, sisters and brothers, and let us be thankful to God for it. Amen. And it's from this word this morning that I want us to see today what it has to teach us about what to pray, especially when it's hard to pray. Let me pray for us now. Heavenly Father, I pray now as the psalmist prayed that you would indeed uh, allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart to be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Again, what to pray when it is hard to pray. Before we dive in this morning, I have to say a big thank you to all of you, my extended family here at Redeemer, for being such faithful partners with me and the work that uh, my co-pastor, my co-planter, Drew Martin, got started in the urban West Charlotte community now almost five years ago. And I'm excited to say uh, that because of your faithful support, today West Charlotte Church is a growing and thriving intercultural gospel community. Amen. 
Yeah, you can clap for that. That's worth clapping. You've been there. There you go. So again, I praise God, of course, but also thank you for helping to make that happen. In the past five years of laboring at this work has personally been both tremendously exciting, as you can imagine, and fulfilling for me personally in so many ways. And it's also been really hard. And it's been really hard in some particular ways for my family. As a few of you know, it's approaching four years now that my family has been terrorized. And I don't use that word lightly, but really and truly terrorized in all kinds of evil ways by a stalker, by a person with whom we believe suffers from some significant untreated mental health challenge by a person that our family actually first embraced doing outreach right there in our urban West Charlotte community. As a matter of fact, this was a neighbor, a person that actually lived right across the street on the same block where my family first decided to settle and plant roots in that community. And without going into too much detail this morning, the harassment from this person rapidly escalated to the point where about three years ago, for safety and security reasons, our family was forced to move out of that home, right out of the heart of, again, that urban West Charlotte community, further out to the outskirts in what is and has been essentially a undisclosed location. However, this person, this Stalker, being unable to now locate our new residence, began to turn the harassment towards the church because it's kind of easy to figure out where I preach every Sunday. And that got to the point where we essentially had to hire a bodyguard for our family just to be able to continue leading and worshiping there. But still now, after spending almost four years exhausting every legal means to find resolution in this situation without any success, it's become clear to us that through it all, through the cumulative toll of it all, as you can imagine, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, on not only myself, but my wife Charlotte and our four children, it's become clear that the Lord is saying that it is indeed time for us to move on move on from the city of Charlotte, and to move on from the church we helped establish. And so as you could imagine, this has been an unbelievably hard season for the West Charlotte Church family, and of course for my, my family as well. And it's actually been particularly hard for our family because while we know the Lord is saying it's time to go, he hasn't yet completely made it clear the where or what he's calling us to next. However, there have been several indications that right here in Winston, the Lord may be leading us. We have some family that's nearby. And of course, we have great friends and ministry partners like y'all here at Redeemer. 
And there may even be a few vocational opportunities for us right here in the tray, as I hear the locals call it. And so we have almost, almost made the final decision as a family to step out on faith to this new land of Salem, a land that I hear is overflowing with bounties of Krispy Kreme donuts and Texas Pete Hout sauce and Winston cigarettes and Hanes underwear. Not quite milk and honey, right? But we can make it work, amen? Amen. But in all seriousness, our family will likely be relocating here very soon and doing so as an act of faith, trusting that the Lord will continue to light our path forward once we get here. And so in this season of so many stresses, as you can imagine, and temptations towards all kinds of anxieties and fears and feelings of loss, in this hard season, I've personally struggled more than ever in my own devotional life to be able sometimes to think clearly enough about what exactly to pray. Now, of course, there's a whole bunch of practical things like, you know, finding schools for the kids, a place to live. We get all those practical logistical types of things that we are praying daily through right now. But knowing what to pray more deeply knowing what to pray for my own soul and for the souls of my family during this hard season has been hard for me. And this morning, I imagine that many of you too, that you too know that feeling. I don't know most of your stories, but I knew know that just living as a broken person in this broken world, has a way at times of pushing us all to that place of disorientation in our prayers. Amen? I can actually look out this morning, and even as some of you all are smiling at me, I, I can look in the eyes and see that some of you all are probably carrying some heavy things in your own life right now. do know that you all as a church family have at least together been dealing with some heavy and some hard tragic losses of some of your own beloved members and leaders. And so I know this morning, I know that many of you, like me, know from recent, if not current, experience that hard times have a way sometimes of making it hard to pray. It's hard sometimes when you're going through to be able to clearly see through to even know what to pray. Amen? And this hard season in my own life has convinced me more than ever that one of the slickest tricks of the enemy, of Satan, 
is to weaponize the hard situations and circumstances in our life against us in order in part to make it extra hard for us to pray. And I believe that the devil does this because he knows, probably better than we do most of the time, he knows that prayer is God's great gracious gift to his people. Amen? God's great gracious gift and his great key to accessing the incredible and supernatural mercy and grace that we need to get through. And I'm sure that the devil knows this. And so it shouldn't surprise us that he'd be working hard to block us from the many blessings of prayer. But in saying that... <laughs> I'm here to remind you this morning, sisters and brothers, that when the devil is working hard against us in our life, we can always rest in the fact of knowing that our God is always working harder for us in our life. Amen? Not only is he working harder, but my God, our God, is also working smarter too. Amen? So understand why the devil might be able to get two steps ahead of you sometimes. Our God always remains two steps ahead of the devil. And that's why it should come to us as no surprise that before, before whatever hard times waltz into your life, your God has already equipped you with words, with words to pray your way through. And of course, we know that God wrote down these words of prayer for us right here in his word, right? You know, I was thinking this week about how we rightly so often think about God's word almost exclusively as being, you know, God's word to us, his revelation to us, right? But I think sometimes we don't give as much consideration as we should to how the scriptures are not only God's word to us, but also God's word for us. For us to borrow. For us to use. For us to even remix a little bit if we need to. To offer right back to God in prayer. God loves us so much, sisters and brothers. That he's already gone ahead and filled the Bible with hundreds, if not thousands, of models and examples to help us to know what to pray, especially when it's hard to pray. And so our passage this morning, again, from the end of chapter 1 of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. And these few verses here are just one of these beautiful models of what to pray that I personally have been leaning on in this season where I've been finding it hard to pray. And so this morning, I just want to give you a few nuggets that the good Lord has given me through this passage that has been helping me as I found it hard to pray. And prayerfully, it'll help at least someone here as well today. Now to start, the New Testament scriptures make it abundantly clear that Paul, writing here, was a person well acquainted, we could say, with hard times. As a matter of fact, you read Paul's story, and it almost seems like this brother's whole Christian life was nothing but traveling from one hard situation to another. 
As a matter of fact, I want you to listen to how Paul himself describes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I like the way the New Living Translation puts it. It puts, uh, it's saying that I've been beat and put in prison too many times to even remember, Paul says. I've even had to face death again and again. I was shipwrecked three times, and I've had to travel many long journeys, facing danger from rivers and from robbers. Facing danger from Gentiles and from Jews. I face danger everywhere, Paul says, in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I've even faced danger from people who claim to follow Jesus like me. And then in my ministry, Paul adds, in my ministry, I've had to work hard and long hours. Enduring many sleepless nights, being hungry and thirsty, and sometimes having to even go without food or even enough clothes to keep me warm. And he's still not done. Paul says, on top of all of this, on top of it all, I daily carry the burden of the stress of my concern for all of God's people. Understand this morning, brothers and sisters. Paul was someone who knew all about hard times. Amen? And so you know what that means? It means we ought to pay extra close attention anytime we come across a passage like ours this morning that shows us how all those years of traveling through all those hard times have shaped what I call Paul's prayer priorities. How walking with Jesus through so many hard times have shaped the way Paul prays, not only for himself, but for other folk too, like we see him doing in our passage. And the first one of Paul's prayer priorities I want us to see here this morning is Paul's prayer priority of praise. A priority of Praise. Again, Paul says in the beginning of our passage, verse 15, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and heard about your love toward all the saints, it's for this reason, Paul tells them, that I do not cease to give thanks to God. I do not stop praising the Lord, in other words, for you, remembering you in my prayers. Again, what I want us to see here first this morning is that here and in a bunch of other places in the New Testament and Paul's letters, we see Paul holding up a priority of praise in his prayers. Paul is teaching us that before asking the Lord to do, we do well to first praise him for what he's already done. Amen? Before offering any requests or petitions, we ought to first look around and thank God for the already existing evidence of his mercy and grace that's at work not only in our life, but in the lives of everyone else around us as well. And I'm learning, sisters and brothers, I'm learning that leaning in on this priority of praise is especially critical in hard times. To simply say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that I know you still love me, even though my current circumstances are tempting me to think otherwise. 
Thank you, Lord, that I know that because you love me, you promise that these troubles that I'm dealing with won't last always. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that I know that even these troubles themselves, all these trials and these burdens themselves, thank you, Lord, that I know they too point me right back to your mercy and grace in my life. Because I know, I know the only reason that I'm even halfway in my right mind this morning, right? With everything that we have going on in our lives, the only reason that we're not curled up in some corner, defeated somewhere, is because of you, Lord. You, Lord, are keeping me. You're keeping us held tight in your loving grip. And even more than that, Lord, I thank you because I know that I can rest in the fact that there's never anything I'll ever go through in this life that didn't first have to go through you. Amen? Before any hard time could stroll through the door of your life, it had to first stop at the entrance. It had to first get frisked, right? It had to first kind of get patted down by your heavenly bodyguard to make sure that not even the worst weapon of what the devil or anyone else meant in your life or in the life of your family or in the life of this church community, right? You can praise the Lord this morning, sisters and brothers, because God said that by the time that thing walked through the door of your life, I had already made sure that it could never destroy you, that it could never separate you from my love. Amen? God is teaching me I desperately need, especially in hard times, to find all the reasons I can to simply praise him. To praise him not only because he deserves it, which of course he does, but to praise him because God has so designed our praise. Get this. God has so designed our praise such that it actually paves the way to perseverance and to hope. Most of us know from experience that hope in hard times is a whole lot easier to hold on to when you can look around and see how your heavenly father is already taking care of you even in the hard time. Amen? And the apostle Paul knew this well. And that's why in our passage, right after Paul praised this praise, the apostle immediately turns around in verse 17 and says that I pray that God would open the eyes of your hearts so that you may know the hope, the hope to which God has called you. In other words, brothers and sisters, Paul tells them that I not only, I not only prioritize praise in my prayers, but I also prioritize asking God to help that very praise pave the way for you to see more clearly and to feel more deeply and to grab hold more tightly to the hope that Jesus has already won for you. 
I remind you this morning, sisters and brothers, of the good news. The good news that Jesus has already died and risen, right? He's not dying again. He's not rising again. He's coming back again. But he's already done those two things. And he's done them to save your soul. The good news that Jesus is already, even right now, scriptures have us believe and give us the image that Jesus is right now doing some hospitality work, right? He's going around the mansion, get rooms together for us, right? He's already doing that. And he's doing that for us to prepare a place for us with him in glory where hard times will be no more. Paul prays that we could hold on to that hope, sisters and brothers. That we would hold on to it tight, always remembering that this hope is a hope that's founded, grounded, and guaranteed by nothing less than the simple fact than that God loves you. If you're a believer here this morning, I want you to hear me well. God counts you and counts us collectively, right? as the most special thing to him in the whole wide world. Amen? As Paul goes on to describe it in verse 18 of our passage, and it's easy to kind of overlook if you don't pay attention to it closely. Paul says there in verse 18 that God actually considers his people, considers us his own inheritance. Think about what that means. That means that when God looks down on us, he says that right there, those folks right there, my people, my church, that is my own inheritance. That right there is my most valued possession. Think about how beautifully crazy that is. That God would say that about a bunch of sinful folk like us, right? With all of our flaws. With all of our issues, with all of our mess and messiness and mess ups, right? God says that because of the already shed blood of Jesus for you, God still counts you as the most precious, the most greatest, the most bestest treasure, right? In the whole wide world. Amen? That's exactly why. He was willing to give his son to die for you. For God so loved the world. We know John 3, 16, right? God so loved you that he gave. He gave his only son. And the son willingly allowed himself to be given. To die for you. In order to have you as his treasured inheritance forever and that right there brothers and sisters understanding the depth of love that God has for you is the most powerful perspective shifting life liberating strength in hard times giving force for your life if you can believe it and keep on believing it right And again, Paul knew that. He knew how the stormy winds of this life 
can so easily blow us away from truly believing that the way that we should. And that's why he made it a priority to pray that we would keep on believing it through whatever hard situations we go through. Paul prays that we would never doubt or forget just how loved and how special we are to our God. Amen? And I'm learning, sisters and brothers, especially, again, through some of the things me and my family are going through right now. I'm starting to see in a new way how so many of my own faith struggles and so much of my own anxieties and fears are rooted in me simply doubting or forgetting that. Or forgetting just how special I am to the God of the universe. And I know that sounds elementary, right? It sounds like something we tell the kids when they line up around the table before we send them out. But guess what? The big kids need to hear that this morning. You're special. And I've come to believe, sisters and brothers, that this too is one of the one of those tricks of the enemy, right? To trick God's people into doubting or forgetting our specialness. Because again, I believe the enemy knows even better than we do sometimes that if he can just get us to doubt or forget that God has already once and for all declared you infinitely special to him, if he can just get you to doubt the legitimacy of your adoption into the family of God, then he knows that he can get you to fall back into living like the spiritual orphans that you used to be before you met Jesus. The enemy knows that. And that's why I've seen not only in my own life, but also in the lives of those the Lord has allowed me to pastor, that the enemy relentlessly tries to work that angle against God's people. And again, I'm learning that it's in hard times, hard times like some of us are going through right now. It's in these hard times that we're most vulnerable to fall for that lie. And that's why, again, Paul learned through all the hard times that he went through, that he had to consistently, he had to constantly pray that the Holy Spirit would help him, that the Holy Spirit would help us to hold on tight to that truth. That we belong to a loving God and to him alone. And that nothing in this world could ever separate us from that love. Amen. I love how Paul puts it in Romans 8. That neither death or life, right? Nor angels or demons, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, if all that be true this morning, sisters and brothers, then we can rest assured that all of who God is and all of what God has, including his almighty power, is already at work in your life. All the power of God you need right now to keep on moving, moving like these kids coming back in, right? To keep on going forward and pushing through whatever valleys of shadows of death that you may walk through in this life. All the power you need for that, your God stands ready, willing, and able to give to you. 
because you deserve it? No, of course not. (laughs) But again, rather simply because he loves you. That's exactly why in verse 19 of our text, and I'm wrapping up now, don't worry. That's why in verse 19 of our text, Paul says, That he also prays that we would know the immeasurable greatness of God's power. In other words, Paul prays that we would know that God's power isn't, isn't some regular old kind of power, right? But it's the exact same supernatural power, Paul tells us, that God used to raise Jesus himself up from the dead. Amen? Again, I want you to listen to how Paul puts it at the end of our text. As a matter of fact, look back there with me if you can, verse 19. And again, I'm wrapping up with this. Paul says a little bit into verse 19 that he prays that the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, verse 20, the same great might, Paul says, that God the Father worked in Christ his Son when he raised him up from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Paul likes run-on sentences, by the way. The same power that God flexed there with Jesus, Paul says, verse 22, when he put all things under Christ's feet and gave Christ as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who feels all and is in all. He is saying that that same power God has at work in our life too. Even right now, that power is protecting you. That power is keeping you. That power is there for you to empower you to keep on loving, to keep on serving, to keep on praising and singing. And worshiping even right in the middle of whatever storm that you may be going through or will go through in this life. So what to pray when it's hard to pray? Well, you can go ahead and pray some praise. And then go ahead and ask the Lord to help you to hold on to the truth of just how loved and special that you are to him. And then pray that that truth would unlock the power that you need to not only help you to make it through, but for you to help one another to do the same. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you Thank you for your love towards us, especially in the hard places of this life. Thank you, Lord, for all the evidence, even today, even this morning, of your gracious hand at work in our lives, even in and through some hard things that some of us may be going through right now. Thank you, Lord, that we know that because of 
the blood spilled on the cross for us, we are now and forever your beloved children, infinitely loved by and special to you. And that we are the never-ending recipients of your resurrection power at work in our lives. Thank you, Lord. And help us, Lord, to keep on praying, even when it's hard. And that we would keep on believing all of that. And that we could rest in that. And that we can, again, help one another to do the same. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.